Well, I'm going to invite um, our panel to uh, to the platform now. If uh, they could just all make their way and get get situated up here, we're going to have a, a great uh, a great conversation tonight. And uh, uh, we are so, I'm so glad that you're here. Give yourself a hand for being here and looking so good on a Wednesday night. But but let me just give you as we get situated, I, I want to first uh, just cover um, our goals for uh, for the evening, so that everybody is clear on exactly uh, what we are are trying to accomplish. What are our goals? Um, here are our goals uh, for tonight, and our goals for the discussion for the rest of this month. Uh, the first goal is this: is to listen to others' experiences and perspectives. All right, we're just we're here to listen. That is our goal. Our goal is to listen to other people's perspective and other people's experience. Our second goal is is this, to gain a deeper understanding of this issue. To gain a deeper understanding of this issue. Our third goal is this, to begin a conversation about the response Christ demands to these issues. So we're going to begin this conversation. What does Christ demand out of us? As followers of him, as people of his kingdom, what are the demands that Christ has put on us dealing with this issue of racism and prejudice? Uh, But then we also want to cover tonight what are not our goals, okay? So we need to know what our goals are, but we need to also be very clear about what what our goals are not in terms of tonight. Number one is uh, to embrace a particular party or movement. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to embrace a party. Our goal is not to embrace a certain movement tonight. Uh, what our goal is not, number two, is to fix everything. Tonight is not, we're not going to fix every problem tonight. We, don't, we, don't, we, under, we are not that naive that one conversation is going to bring completion to this discussion. Number three, our goal is not to justify our own point of view. Remember, this is a discussion and not a debate. We are here to listen. We are here to learn. We are, we are here to see. That's what we are here to do. And uh, we are not here to justify our own point of view. And number four, what our goal is not, um, our goal is not for this to be our final conversation. This is not the goal. So the goal is that this would begin conversation, this would begin a way of thinking, that this would be the beginning of something and not the end of something. And so we just want to be clear about our goals and, uh, uh, and what we are, are uh, attempting to accomplish out of, uh, of, of tonight. And uh, uh, thank you so much. We just talked on the phone just yesterday, and I thank you so much. Uh, what, what am I supposed to call you? Am I... Uh, Trooper Matt. I like that. Trooper Matt. Let's just get right down to it. Trooper Matt. Uh, uh, Trooper Matt is uh, uh, with the Louisiana uh, State. He's a Louisiana State trooper, and um, uh, and he is also the public information officer. And uh, and so he's agreed to to be with us tonight. And he has a short window, so he's only going to be here for about ten or fifteen minutes. So we're going to uh, we're going to start our conversation tonight, directing all of uh, all of our questions uh, towards him, so that uh, he can be excused and, and take his uh, his family um, uh, back with them where where they need to go. Uh, and but tonight, uh, I want to start with just with this question, uh, Trooper Matt, and I like to say, I'm going to say that a lot because I really like the ring to that. Uh, Trooper Matt, tell us, uh, tell us right now, what, what is, uh, what is the overall feeling 
of uh, police officers uh, right now watching uh, their fellow officers being being targeted in in cities all around the country. What's the overall feeling right now? Is this on? Y'all got me? All right, I was looking for the on switch. I'm going to tell you, we got asked that a lot. Uh, I don't know how many police officers are in the congregation, but in between the Dallas shootings and the Baton Rouge shootings, we got asked that a lot. Does it make you scared to go to work? I'm going to tell you what it does to 99.9% of us. There is that small one percenter that's going to get scared, and they're going to say, this is not the career for me anymore. But this stuff motivates us because there's battles lost all the time. But when we don't back down because of violence like this, when we stand in the face of darkness, we, look the, we stare evil in the face and we say, just because you're ambushing us doesn't mean we're not going to protect this guy or this lady. It makes us want to do it even more. And we're going to continue to do that. And nobody's going to deter us or scare us from doing that. If that, if that, if that answered that clearly enough for you. Yeah, Our recruiting right. numbers are higher now than they've ever been. Come on. <laughs> How great is that? Wow. Wow. I love to hear that. I want to know, how, how can we, as the community, um, how can we uh, support police officers, uh, but at the same time uh, show empathy uh, for those who are experiencing injustice? How can we, as a community, uh, you know, balance that seesaw, if you would, to, to support everything that you guys are doing, but also understand uh, that there are situations of injustice and have empathy and sympathy in those situations? I'm going to share two stories with you. First one involves my five-year-old little girl that JC just took back to the nursery. Um, five years old. They shouldn't have to know what that means. When I put that on the week of the Baton Rouge shootings, I picked her up from daycare, and she's in the back of my Tahoe, and she says, Daddy, did a state trooper get killed today? Wow. Now, this is a five-year-old little girl. And I said, no, baby, they didn't. Well, then why are you wearing your cross on your badge? That's what she calls it. I said, uh, it just shows you how much they pay attention. I've never discussed what the black morning band is. My, now, my eight-year-old, he knows exactly what it is. I said, uh, some troopers didn't get killed, but some other police officers and deputies did. Another key factor of how close kids pay attention. She wanted to know if they got shot or if they were killed in a wreck. Because if y'all don't remember, there was a Winsboro police officer. And then immediately following that, somebody hit the Sterlington police officers. And both of those were vehicle crashes that claimed their lives. I said, no, they were shot. Her next question to me was, Daddy, are, they, are the bad people going to shoot you? And, and are, you, are you worried that the bad people are going to get you? And I didn't know how to answer that at first. Uh, I mean, I talked to people for a living. And I said... I smiled at her and I said, no, the bad people aren't going to get me because I'm going to be ready for them. And she never asked me anything else again about it. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you a little story that happened with me without sharing too much of my personal life. This happened this week. And just to show you that God's working in everybody's lives, including the victims of the, like part of that question includes the bad apple police officers just as the citizens. Okay, Monday. I've got a lot on my shoulders right now. I walking into PetSmart after I got through eating lunch before I went back to the troop, and there was a, an elderly man in the parking lot with his chihuahua in his truck. And he called me over there, but he called me by name. And I said, okay. Now, the first guy I'm thinking, he just sees me on TV all the time. So 
I walk over there, and he, he calls me by Matt, you know, and he says, uh, I watch you every Tuesday morning on Channel 3. I said, that's great. I hope I do good for you. He said, oh, yeah, I love listening to you talk about stuff. I said, well, I appreciate that. He said, I want you to know, I know you got a lot going on in your life. It's somebody I don't even know. You got a lot going on in your life, and I'm praying for you. And I said, well, I appreciate that. I'm thinking he's meaning because of all the shootings that are happening. So I walk in there, and the debit card machines are down, and I don't have any cash. So I have to turn around and go to Walmart on airline. And this is the I'm, I'm, reason I'm including all these details is because it's showing how God puts you in different places to bring your attention to something. When you think something's wrong, he's going to let you know he's there. So I'm walking into Walmart, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with it, but I'm walking down the front side. I already got in the dog. I need to get, like, some lotion or something. And there's an, an elderly black man, white-headed. He even had, like, the white cholesterol rings on his eyes. There's no way he could have read my name tag. No way possible. He says, uh, Mr. Harris, and I'm, ta- I'm from here to the exit sign. So I walk over there, and I shake his hand. He says, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing good. And uh, I said, let me guess. You watch me on Tuesday mornings. He goes, nah, you, I don't watch the news. I don't watch TV. <laughs> so I said, okay. I said, well, how'd you know my name? Because I know I can't read it from there. <laughs> he said, uh, I don't know. I can't explain that. And I said, okay. I said, he said, uh, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I said, uh, can I ask you something? And he said, yes, sir. I said, why are you praying for me? Is it because of all the shootings? And, and he said, uh, no, sir. God laid on my heart that you need prayer because you got a lot on your shoulders right now. And I almost started crying. I had to walk away. And uh, so he hugs me, sends me off. I've never seen the man since. I'm on the contact aisle. And there's kind of a slower, like a guy, as you can tell, he's, he's slow kind of. And his mom's with him. Now, he's, he's my age. His mom's, and they're looking for contact solution, and he was looking in the part like the re-wedding drops, and I said, man, you have problems with dry eyes? Just, you know, I, I can't help but talk to people. And he goes, well, I'm looking for the stuff that you spray on them when you take them out. And I said, well, you don't want to mess with this stuff. You want to, you want to get Optifree, you know? And then his mom says, thank you. Never seen me before in my life. Never seen her. And she looks at me, and she says, as I'm walking off, she, she catches me. And she says, son, I'm, I just want you to know that we're praying for you. And I said, well, I appreciate that. What are you praying for? She said, you got a lot on your plate. And I said, how do you know what's on my plate? <laughs> she said, God led me just now to tell you that we're going to pray for you. Wow. So if you don't, that's the strongest wow. interference in life that I've ever had. But we need more of that right now. Wow. Wow. We need to show empathy for the police officers. Yeah. Because my five-year-old little girl didn't have to lose her daddy. But those other officers had little girls and little boys. And one of the hardest things I ever had to do as a trooper was accepting a challenge coin from Ethan Vincent, Stephen's eight-year-old son, because my son's eight-year-old, eight years old, fixing to be nine. And I kind of got trapped and couldn't get out. And he, I was in the line of people, and he, he shook my hand and gave me a challenge coin with his daddy's end-of-watch date on it. Now... Think about the empathy for those people. Not the police officer that got shot, but the kids. But then we we turn the tables and we talk about the bad apples. Well, I'm here to tell you all something you might already know, or you might not know it. The percentage 
of bad apples among society as the percentage of racist bad police officers is opposite ends of the spectrum. We have a very small percentage of racist police officers or bad police officers, but I'm here to tell you my own family members have fell victim to those types of police officers. And I can speak for what the state police does to stop that from happening and stop that behavior. You could ask JC, they get disciplined. We go through, I, ha, I have taken a psychiatric evaluation three times between three departments, and twice it was at state police. Wow. And they evaluate you. They do the Myers-Briggs. They do all this stuff. And bad apples still slide through the cracks. Yeah. And it happens everywhere. But the percentage that makes it through is so much smaller than the percentage that we have in society that get caught up in biased media reporting. Yeah. It's one thing I can say. I deal with our media around here. None of our media outlets here anymore have people that report bias one way or another. If the police mess up, you can expect them to, buy, to report a true and correct story about what we did wrong. And if the citizen messes up, you can expect them to report a story about what the citizen did wrong. And I'm lucky to work because we have the third most aggressive media market in the entire state. And I'm lucky to work around those people. But I'm here to tell y'all the biggest battle is being lost at home. Men need to take charge of their families. They need to have them in church. We got too many kids growing up to be narcissistic people because they're dependent on their parents or somebody who doesn't ever put a checks and balances system in place, and they don't take them to church and introduce them to God. And when that happens, you have too many families out here with non-Christian children, and those non-Christian children grow up to go to the military, learn tactics, and fight against the police, the peacekeepers. So there's where your war is being lost. It's not on the picket line. I'm here to tell y'all we had a fraction of the problems in Baton Rouge that they've had across the country. Nobody's business got burnt down. Nobody was shot and killed innocently. No citizens. The only people that unfortunately got killed was us, was people from our family. And that's a casualty of war. But zero citizens were killed or seriously injured as a result of rioting or protesting. No small business owner had to, had to lose everything like they did in Ferguson, Missouri. So I don't know about y'all, but that makes me proud to be in a state where we can, we can still maintain and keep justice and peace. And J.C. was there. He can tell y'all, 60 out of the 100 people they arrested on that Saturday were not even from here. They were not even Louisiana residents. And 60 of them, if I'm not mistaken, 70 were Caucasian, right? No racist bias there. You see what I'm saying? There's people, there's people that are non-Christians that are coming into our state and bringing these battles to the home front when we could be winning them right at home. The men and these families can take, care, take charge of their family and bring them to church. Very well said. Come on, how many of you can commit to pray for Trooper Matt. Come on, can you just commit to pray for Trooper Matt? And I, I want to just pray right now. We're just going to stop. He's going he's gonna, to uh, go, but I just want to uh, lead us in a prayer for him and for all those that are, that are serving right now. Father, Lord, we thank you for Trooper Matt. God, we thank you for, for all of those who are serving, God, in the, in the state police, those who are ser serving our city, God, in Bossier and Caddo, our sheriff's department, God, our police department. God, Lord, we just pray that you would protect them. God, we 
pray that you would be with them. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and supernatural insight and strength, God. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon their families with their sons and their daughters. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would reveal yourself, God, to be everything that you say you are. And God, we, we commit to continue to lift up these brave men and women as they protect us and protect the unity, God, that exists in our state and in this city. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give a great round of applause for Trooper Matt. Come on, let's give him another great round of applause just for being with us tonight. Thank you. Amen. 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 JC, you going to take care of him? You going to take him back? You got him. All right. All right. You're in, you're in good hands, Trooper Matt. You're in good hands right there. Amen. Wow. Wasn't that, wasn't that fantastic? Man, so good. So good. Uh, well, we're going to uh, continue on in, in our uh, conversation and, uh, and, and I want to go now to uh, Ms. Gloria, Ms. Gloria Millender. She has, uh, she has been a part of, of our community church family for years. Uh, she has worked with our Winter Circle Inner City Kids Program for a couple decades now. And uh, uh, I know she only looks like she's 29. I know that. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, this is... Um, uh, this is what this is what I want to ask you, Miss Gloria. What 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 was it like uh, growing up as a black woman in this area? Oh, thank you. <laughs> but first, let me say this because I came from a time that was probably beyond most of the people in here, just about everybody in here. So I saw a different thing than you're seeing right now. But let me put a plug in before I even start because some of the things I have to, that have happened to me in the past racially has been really rough. But I want you to understand this, that I respect all policemen. And also, when I couldn't have started start the Winter Circle camp. I had I depended upon uh, five, six, and sometimes seven of the Dare policemen who helped me every year. So my heart goes out to them, and wow. I want you to understand. Wow. I want everybody to understand that. But uh, I grew up in, in the, well, I was going to middle, elementary school and middle school in the 50s. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my perspective are probably something that you have never heard, have never seen, unless you watched, you know, stories on TV or something like that. So I grew up in a time when there were total segregation and um uh, that will, uh, everything was, uh, you, if you wanted to drink water out of a public fountain, you had to go to a one that said color. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, if you went to the doctor, you went in the back to a, a room just for colors. That's the, with a name, colors of them. Uh, 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 that will, that will, everything, if you rode a bus, and I grew up in the country, so, uh, I didn't do much riding buses, <laughs> you know, and things like that. So my life probably was a lot different from someone that grew up in the city. So I was in the country. I, I grew up eight, 18 miles north of here in, a, in a 
town, not even a town, it was just a, a township or something, uh, that had a post off in a few stores and a cotton gin and things like that. But, and I didn't even grow up there. I grew up in the country part, about two miles, <laughs> two miles west of there. <laughs> so it was a lot different. <laughs> so, but, but uh, so I saw a lot of things. Uh, we walked to school when we were going to elementary school. We passed what was called, uh, what they label hanging trees. There were two hanging trees in our neighborhood that blacks had been hung on for little or nothing. It was kept from us children a lot, but the, you know, when, when you're going to school with older kids, they tell you everything. So we were always afraid of walking past a hanging tree. So there were, there, there were a lot of things. When my mom, I was a sickly child, and when my mom would have to take me to the hospital, she would have to pack a lunch because we got there for probably 7.30 and we maybe got, get waited on maybe four or five o'clock. So, and then oftentimes, because they saw all of the white people first and then they saw, saw, saw you. So, um, but I don't feel, listen to me, I don't feel sorry for my childhood. I am thankful. If you read, uh, there's a scripture in Hebrews, I think the fifth chapter, that say Jesus learned, even Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. So I don't, I don't regret not one ounce of my childhood, trust me. But I did. I walked through a lot of things, and as many I, I, I remember times, my brother on one, one Halloween, my brother was a, probably around 15 or 16. He built a fire, fire along the road, the country road, and he was arrested. And he came back with knots and bruises all over his head when we got him back. When we finally got enough money to pay his fine and got him back, so there were a lot of things that happened. But, that, but trust me, there were safety nets in our community that made it all, uh, that made it minimize the problems that we faced. Um, my dad, we, there were farmers, we were farmers, so there were, there were landowners and there were non-landowners there. Uh, the the non-landowners were sharecroppers and they encountered more than I ever uh, did. I was blessed because my father was a landowner, and he protected his children, he protected his girls. We couldn't go out, uh, go anywhere uh, without them. We stayed in pretty much in our, com in our little community. But there were people in our community that cared so much for each other. They, uh, if there was someone sick, they took off, they stopped working in the fields and took turns taking care of their sick neighbors or sick friends. And it didn't matter whether they were landowners or not. When we, we grew everything, my grandparents were excellent farmers. My mom was an excellent farmer. We were never without anything. We always had more than enough. And my mom, when she would cook, she would always have something to take down the street to sister so-and-so. The children, we were constantly running to each other, other people's houses, taking things. So there were a closeness in the community that we don't see now. Uh, and that was, our, that was our safety net. And then there were spiritual things taking place that would boggle your imagination. You know, I grew up... Uh, 
we had, um, my mom went to a church. My dad was unsaved till the last three years of his life. Thank God he got saved before he died. But he was an awesome person. He would make light. He was the only one that would work outside of the house. So he would make, he would t tell us stories and we'd laugh about the things that he went on in the community. So it was a joke to us. It, it, he, he made it fun for us. And, and, and so, and, 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 and so we, were, we were not sad. We took every, every, every opportunity my parents had to celebrate something. We celebrated. We didn't have much money to buy things, but we celebrated, and we had a good time. So, um, so but, that will, but the main thing I want you to see is the spiritual encounters that we grew up with. Although we had church maybe once or twice a month most of the time, but in the summer, when school was out, they had revivals from one church to another. We as teenagers would walk from one church to the other, just praising God. Sometimes we'd work in the fields, and we'd be singing and praising God. So, and, and it was just a time of just growing close to the Lord. And uh, we didn't have much of anything else. So God became our number one source. And I remember, I, I remember uh, in our neighborhood, the Presbyterian churches got together in North, and I, I'll be hurried, I'll get to talking. And uh, <laughs> got together, and they, and they decided to put a community chapel and a, get a pastor and his wife and put them in a neighborhood. Guess whose neighborhood they selected? Ours. I was able to walk to our community chapel every day and on Saturdays, on Sundays when we weren't having church. So we learned all of the scriptures and the praise God. Wow. So it was an awesome experience. Teenagers were in the cotton fields and they heard people singing at church. They couldn't wait to get there and get to the church houses wow. and praise God. Wow. We would walk home at night just praising God. That was, that was how my teenage years were. So it blotted out all of the other stuff. All of the other stuff were all blotted out. We had no malice in our heart, and we still have none. Wow. So I'm going to stop. Wow. 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 Well, I, wow. Thank you so much uh, for, for sharing that. You know, it's a... Uh, it's an amazing thing when you, she started this by talking about walking past the hanging tree. And she ends it talking about singing praise and worship in the fields and singing in the streets and worshiping the Lord. Uh, that's a powerful thing. Uh, and uh, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing that. Um, uh, Bo, I, I want to ask you, uh, being a, 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 a white man growing up in the South, um, how were you taught culturally, not, not just, not, not even speaking in your home, but just growing up in, in the culture uh, of, of the South, how were you taught to think about black people? Uh, I grew up uh, in northeast Arkansas, in the Mississippi Delta area. And so there, culturally, we were, we were taught that we were superior of black people. We were taught that um, we didn't 
associate with black people, that they, they, were, they were different than us. And I'm, I'm talking about, I mean, I am not that old. I'm, I'm 34 years old. So this is in the early, mid-80s. Um, and so we, we were taught that. And, and I, I can't speak. We, we, we moved to Louisiana later on in my life. But in that area, in that culture, that was a normality. Um, there were even, even in the 80s, there was all-white schools. That still existed even even in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, there were all white schools, yeah. um, and uh, because the funding was 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 by a, a white farmer, and and that was part of the stipulation, and the trust fund would be eliminated. Wow. So there there was still those things uh, going on in, in in that culture of, of where I lived at that point in time. So yes, yeah, so we we were definitely we were taught that that we were we were superior and. Well, well okay. tell, me, tell me this, growing up in that, just being ingrained in you, just mm-hmm. being ingrained by the culture, being ingrained by, by everything, how did you, and maybe when did you, and how did you make a decision to say, I'm not going to follow the pattern of what was modeled there before me, sure. I, I am going to live my life a different way. When and how did you walk through that process? You know, ironically, when we moved from Arkansas to Louisiana, um, that was that was a moment that that it was in uh, I think I'm getting a little older. It's fourth or fifth grade or something like that. <laughs> I don't know, you know, way back when. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but I remember walking into the elementary school and, and I'm this young kid. I don't know anybody like zero people at, at all. And I walk in. And I, if I'm correct, I actually think I chased my dad as he was leaving because I did not want to go to that school. I was like, I'm not, this is not good. And, and so I walked into school and walked into the classroom, and I was scared to death. And a young black kid by the name of Terry McIntyre, I remember his name because I even still to this day communicate with him, wow. was the first one who greeted me, was the first one who wow. said, hey, hey, what, what's your name? And I told him, and he goes, hey, I'm Terry. And he was, and he was a big dude. I mean, I'm, I'm still little, and he was, I was, he was probably four times the size of me. So I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna hang with you. <laughs> you my boy now." <laughs> and but, but at that very moment in time, yeah. it clicked with me that yeah. Yeah. what the culture I had been in, wow. something was wrong with that. Wow. That something while I was being taught by other people, it, it wasn't right. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the way that it really was supposed to be. And, uh, and so that began that began that moment that that changed within them, within my heart, within my mindset, within the way I processed and looked at people. Even at the, at that age, in, in fourth grade, wow. I knew I said this, something's not right with this. Wow, wow, so good, um, uh, Roland. I'd, I'd like to ask you now. Uh, Roland serves in uh, the Air Force and um, has has lived all over the world and uh, all over the country. And I would like to know what has your experience been in the South as compared to Living in other parts of the U.S. Um, and, uh, and and even other parts of the world. So, uh, you know, I, I joke all the time when people say, "Yeah, if you want to make a plan, you know, make your plan, and you want to enjoy that plan, you can try to enjoy it, but give yourself the opportunity to allow like God to laugh at you." Mm-hmm. So, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, just we actually just got back from leave in Brooklyn. Uh, love Brooklyn. Uh, that's where I spent the first 19 years of my life. And then I enlisted in the Air Force, and uh, 
the Air Force and God and his infinite wisdom decided to station me in a little town called Baldasta, Georgia. Uh, it's, it's probably the size of this room, maybe. Uh, as I drove up to the gate, you know, and I, fortunately, my, my father, I, I went through basic, went through tech school, and uh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to my first duty station. I go home for a week, and I'm like, look, I'm going to get a car. So, you know, we managed to get a lease. So I'm a 19-year-old kid with New York tags with a Mitsubishi Gallant in 1996 driving through Valdosta, Georgia. And, yes, music is going out the window. I'm good. I'm like, yeah, I have arrived. And I pull up to the gate, and uh, they're playing dueling banjos in the background. <laughs> So this is going to be uh, this is going to be different. It's going to be different, um, to say the least. Um, but but I enjoyed it, you know. And it, it's funny you say everywhere is different. Everywhere that you live in the world, people are going to gravitate to where they're comfortable. So I can't say that I didn't have racial experiences in Valdosta, but I can tell you that the positives always always outweigh the negatives. Uh, and, and that's just a mindset that you have to have. So uh, from my perspective, and going there and uh, meeting my first supervisor, who, who I have to have a t tell a story about, uh, Timothy Sermons. He was from a little town called Lakeland, which is about 10 minutes from Valdosta, which was even smaller, if you can think about that. And so uh, he, he comes in, and we have the first meeting with your supervisor. So you're brand new to the Air Force, and you sit down. And he gives me a sheet of paper, and he's like, here, sign this. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. You don't, you don't ask any questions at that point. You're, you've already been brainwashed, and you'll do anything. So I sign it. And he's like, yep, that's your first LLC. I'm just going to put that one on side. That's a letter of counseling, all right? Because I know you're going to do something to mess up. I just want to have this one on file so that as you continue to mess up, we just have this on file for you. Just get that out of the habit, okay? And he was like, okay, I got three things to tell you, three things I need you to figure out. First, and you are not good-looking enough to be rich in this military and in this world, so you got to get educated, so go to school. That's the first thing I expect from you. <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy just hurt my feelings, you know, because like, I knew that I was going to marry Oprah and make it, you know? <laughs> but uh, I was like, okay, all right, all right, that's, uh, granted, that's number one. Number two, he said, when you hang this military career up, there's two things, three things you want to have. You want to have a little bit of money in your pocket, you want to have your family, and you need in some way, shape, or form to have your mental or physical capacities. Now, things aren't going to work like they used to. You're 19 now. You think you're bulletproof and indestructible. When you get to 40, and, you know, I learned that lesson this year. He was absolutely right, <laughs> unfortunately. And, uh, you know, your physicality is going to go, but hopefully your mental is still sharp. So those three things. And then he said, yeah, and just have fun. Enjoy yourself. Make the most out of this thing, because if you don't. So I spent an enormous amount of time with him. Like every day off, I was over his house. He was teaching me how to be the best airman I could be, the best troop I could be, the best leader I could be. And, uh, you know, and obviously he's a white guy from Lakeland, Florida, who didn't have to do that or reached out to me and became one of my best friends and still one of my best friends to this day who I talk to on a regular. Wow. So uh, I think you, you have to look at the people, the experiences, and what God puts in front of you. Because yeah. what you may see is an opportunity or what you may see as a catastrophe is actually there to help you either get better or learn something. Wow, wow. And as you open your eyes and you start to realize, okay, you know, I'm talking to my mom this morning and she's talking about revivals. 
my mom's in her 60s. I'm like, oh, revivals, God. I think about sitting out there, you know, no AC, out in the lawn somewhere, <laughs> sweating, somebody's dancing and jumping. It's revivals. <laughs> and we come back in here, and, you know, Officer Matt talks about revivals. And I'm like, okay. I, I have to call my mom when we leave here to say, Mommy, you know, they talked about revivals at church tonight. And <laughs> thank you for setting myself up so I didn't make the same, you know, facial expression of, Revivals, but uh, I, I, those experiences for me have been always helped, and that's what we try to give our children. It's like, hey, you know, you're you're going to experience, you're going to live places. Um, yeah. When we lived in North Dakota, we loved it up there too. Yeah. So if I had to pick a place where I would say like racial um, strife is at an, an a minimum, and uh, and that's kind of United States, where I'm thinking. Uh, Believe it or not, it's North Dakota. They don't care what color you are as long as you live by the content of your character and you give your word. Wow. They, they do not care. And, and that was the most amazing thing for us when someone shows up at your house to fix your garbage disposal and he's like, oh, most people aren't here. They just leave the door open. And so he just walks in, does his job, and leaves. Wow. And leaves you a note, hey, I took a Coke out of the freezer. Here's 50 cents. <laughs> wow. And wow. I'll, I'll bill you. <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. Like, there's three people in this world that trust, you know, me, my mom, my wife, and I still count the change when I go to the store. <laughs> so, <laughs> the idea wow. of you're going to bill me, you don't know me from Adam, wow. and I'm, you're going to send me a bill for what you just did. That's, that's, a, little, that's a little dicey, but okay, man. Wow. Right on. Wow. Wow. Very, very good. Um, uh, Clarissa, um, how how old were you? You you uh, you grew up um, uh, here. How how old were you uh, when uh, when you first realized uh, that people might think different of you, might think less of you because you had a different color skin? Do you remember how old you were when that first dawned on you? And 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 what was that experience like for you when that? Yeah, I was uh, I was in fourth grade, like Bo. So I got all the way to fourth grade without knowing I was black. Um, so no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I was I was born in North Dakota, so that might have something to do with it. Um, and we moved here from Maine. You know, it, it is a state. And so coming from Maine to Louisiana, complete culture shock for for us little kids. Um, I was playing at recess. And um, I came, I mean, I was a bass kid, so all my friends, you know, I had a Filipino neighbor, all my neighbor was white, we were in Girl Scouts, we were doing, you know, you don't even think about it. And so I moved here, and we're at recess, and um, they were like picking teams for something, and I was ready, you know, if you know me, yeah, anyway. Um, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a boy said to me, he said, uh, you can't do that because you're black. And I was like, what? Like, what does that even mean? You know, I, it really, it just, I can remember the day, University Elementary, Shreveport, Louisiana, standing out on the playground going, in my head, like, what, what does that have to do with anything, you know? Of course, I could play in this game, you know? What are you even talking about? So that was really, I was nine years old when I realized, oh, there's something different about me because I'm, you know, black. Um, and then I just started being told that all the time. You know, don't you, you're black. Why do you talk about, well, you're black. I was like, what, is, what are you talking about, you know? So for me, I got all the way to nine years old without knowing. Wow. 
Well, now, tell me, tell me, because nine years old, and we don't want to uh, reveal your your young age. Up there. Oh, you can reveal uh, it. But, it's uh, okay. But I mean, we're talking about that was just twenty. Yeah, twenty-seven years yeah, ago, twenty-eight yeah, years yeah. ago. I mm-hmm. mean, so mm-hmm. we're not talking that long ago. Mm-hmm. Tell me, do do you still experience that same type of prejudice? Obviously, maybe in a different form. Do you still see that and experience what you experienced in elementary school today? You know, um, I married a, a white man. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I did. No, you're not I really kidding. Did. You really did. And so, uh, <laughs> so it was interesting that from... Dale, she was serious when <laughs> she said yes. Where's Dale? Where's Dale? She no, was serious. <laughs> where's, where's he at? Um, so from nine till, till, till when I really, till I married him, I didn't really experience a lot of uh, prejudice that I could see. But when we got married... That's when it started to be visible. Um, just recently, it, it happens all the time when we go out in public, but just recently something has never happened in eight years happened. We went to Target, and Dale put something up on the checkout line, and then our son Eddie, who's black, put something up on the checkout line with his stuff, and a lady who just happened to be white that was in front of us, she kind of looked, and she like got panicked, and she took the little thing and separated their stuff. And we were all standing there like, this is uncomfortable. And so Dale puts it, Dale takes it, and he says, oh, we're all together. And she's just kind of like, you know. And so, and so we walk to the car. And, you know, we have Eddie and Joy. And, and, and we're all just kind of like, dun, dun, dun. Like walking to the car, having a moment. Like, did that just happen? You know. And Dale said, I, I think she thought she was helping me. You know, I don't know. Um, and so that was our most recent, like, Oh, okay, yeah, you know, we're together, kind of a moment. Uh, but we experience that all the time, you know, people just staring at us, um, kind of just in awe, like, why? What is going on, you know? And it's didn't experience it when I was just black by myself, so. Yeah. It was. <laughs> it's great. No, no, keep the mic. I got one more question for you. This is too good. You know, I was, uh, I, I had a conver- conversation um, with, uh, with, with Tangi uh, just last week. And uh, she was telling me an experience that she had had. She works at a bank. I don't know if Tangi's in here tonight or not. Where is she? There she is, right here on the front row. Um, she was telling me an experience that she had had just last week at the bank. And um, uh, an older uh, white male had come in to cash a check. Check couldn't be cashed too large, didn't have his ID, all kinds of different things. And because she was not allowed to cash his check, he began to attack her and began to say, you stupid N-word, you know, and just began to uh, really curse her. And and Clarissa, I would just, I I would like to know, um, one, do do have you heard have you heard that have people said that to you have they called you that word that I'm not going to say that n word have they said that word to you and two how does that make you feel if you have heard it how does it make you feel and I'm gonna ask you Miss Gloria so you can be thinking about it right after this um, so the answer is yes you know it has been said to me how does it make me feel um, it, it really feels like I've been physically assaulted. That's the best way I can explain it. Like a blow. It, it, it takes my breath away. Um, just watching old documentaries. Uh, we love 
the whole civil rights movement and me and my kids watch stuff. And, and when I hear that word being used by like, you know, governors and different things, even in the past, I get like teary eyed because it feels like you just stole something from me. You know, like you, you just took my identity away and, and gave me a, a new name. Um, how do you, who gave you the right, you know, it just makes you go, what in the, and it just, it kind of takes my breath away. So wow. that's my, that's how it feels for me. I don't know about Miss Glory. Wow, Miss Glory. Well, yes, I, I have heard it, and it, and it has been uh, directed toward me. Uh, it takes me back to my childhood time. You know, I've, you know, I can live above all of that, but there are occasions when some ugly word said by someone, you know, and I'm, I don't even think sometimes they know what they're saying yeah. and, and things, but it takes me back to those hanging trees and things like that, that, that uh, people I knew had, and things that happened to people that I knew. Wow. So it does. Wow. You know, I, I'm, I'm just reminded now of, of you just talking. And, and, and uh, Roland, I, you, I, want you to, uh, I want you to answer this, the same question. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I was just reminded of, uh, I, was, I was just watching a lot of these kind of talks in different churches and things that are posted online. And it was talking about how um, a word like that, a moment, uh, you know, like Tangi was describing to me just last week, how what happens in a moment like that is it's like all the old wounds just come back to the surface. All the old wounds, it's like it, and it all comes at one time. It's not one, it's not two, it's not three. It's like they all come back all at the same time. And, uh, and, and there was a person describing it in that fashion. And man, I thought, wow, for, for, for a person that, has heard that word not once, not twice, but dozens of times over a life, hundreds of times potentially, over a lifetime, to, for that to all come back in a moment, the wounds of all of that. Uh, it's really mind-blowing uh, to me to hear them describe that. Roland, why don't you, have you, have you experienced that, and, and how does that make you feel? Uh, yes, I experienced it, and when I was younger and uh you know the reaction is you just want to fight you know that's what i'm going to do I, I grew up in a, in a physical household you know there are about 14 of us between my brothers and my cousins who my cousins were raised as brothers with me and i was the youngest so how i got by was my smart mouth and being able to run really fast <laughs> and uh but when they caught me, you had to fight. I mean, that, that was it. So there was no coming home like, okay, I got beat up at school today. There was, uh, you got beat up by who? Well, let's go. Mm. Let's go right now. You know. And so uh, when you grow up in an environment like that where you, you think that you're going to solve everything with your fist, when you hear a word like that and you come at me, you know, I'm going to retaliate with fists. And then somewhere along the lines, I figured out that, hey, well, I can also retaliate with my mind and be just as smart as you. So. Uh, the definition is, you know, you're, you're calling me ignorant. That, that's by definition that's what the word means. Yeah. Now, how can you surmise that I am ignorant just by looking at me? Because you don't know anything. I may wow. be more educated Come than on. you. Come on. You know? And there are several people, when you walk down the street, you walk past them, you have a conversation, and you realize that I, I just walked into a can of worms. This, this person is a lot more educated than I am. Mm. Uh, watch yourself. Be careful. So, you know, when 
if you choose to do that to me, especially now in my, my later years, I got kids, you just you just can't do that. Um, so I will find a way to be like, well, why do you feel that way? And usually I kind of, you know, kind of de-escalate the situation because right now, in today's world, escalation gets you nowhere. It's about de-escalation, and sometimes yeah. you just have to go back and play that back in your mind and be like. Okay, physically I am assaulted, mentally I am upset, and I really want to reach out and hurt you. But the Christ in me tells me that I need to pull back. (laughs) I need to remember where I'm at, and I also need to understand that, you know, you, we we all try our best to be the best that we can. Um, I had to write this down because I'm not as good as you, okay? Uh, Romans 7.18 says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that it is in my sinful nature. So I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So if I know that about everyone, right? It says in the Bible, and it doesn't say, you know, this applies to people from Brooklyn or Saints fans, you know. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. applies to That's right. everyone. Yeah. And, and knowing that, well, you know not what you do. You, you don't understand that. You're, you're sinful. So how can I help you? What am I going to do about that? And then now the reality is that I need to check myself. I need to find the inner light in me that's going to say, okay, how can I change this? And sometimes you can't. Yeah. And that's the hard part, when you have to agree to disagree and walk away for yes. your own well-being. But in those instances where I've been successful, and I said, well, well why do you feel that way? Tell me about it. Mm. Uh, the usual reaction is just a moment of pause, like, what? what? Like, what, what, what just happened? I was like, what? Tell me, what do you mean? Why do you say that? What does that word mean? What does it mean to you? Mm. Well, I just, uh, well, you're upset. I got it. Let's talk about it. Wow. You want to hug? Wow. You know, and wow. then, you wow. know, then I continue to wow. yeah. pull at it. And then and later on, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I just saw, so, got it. But, wow. you know, you have to govern that's you great. in sense the way that life great. is. So, uh, for me, I, that's a successful way that I approach this now in my 40s versus that's great. in my teens where, have been a completely different situation. Yeah. I hope my kids are smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bo, I, um, I, I would like for you just for, for a moment, I know we're getting down here and, and we're about to, to wrap it up. Everybody's going to have just a couple minutes at the end. Um, I'm going to ask everybody just one more question. But, uh, but I'd like to know, do you still uh, feel yourself personally having to fight against the temptation to be prejudiced after having just grown up in this culture, uh, not just in Northeast Arkansas, but just the culture in the South, the culture of, of some places of white America. Do, do you find yourself having to personally make, make decisions to say, no, I will not be that way and fighting that on an individual level? I personally do not. I, I, I feel like God, man, it is, he, he totally changed. When, when I changed and I had that moment happen, uh, even in fourth grade, I feel like God just touched touched me and, and changed my whole mindset because from that point on, it was it was a fight. And so for me, no, it's not a it's not a a, a struggle, but I know for a lot of pe- other people it is. And so for me, I try my best uh, to to help people like we're all and try to help them understand and 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 and, and fight. Fight for what is right. Fight for for the kingdom, and fight for for uh, the fact that we're all one people. We're all, and, and that's so. I, I personally don't struggle with that. A little story we had. Um, I was talking to a guy a couple of days ago, and um, 
we're in construction, and we were our office is a uh, it's in the old part of downtown Shreveport, and uh, we're close to Allendale, and we're close to a couple other less desirable maybe neighborhoods in the, in, in, in the Shreveport area. But we um, we were there, and, and a guy was making reference to Martha goes, "Oh yeah," he said, "You're a, you're in the black neighborhood," and I sit there because it shocked it, it, it genuinely shocked me. I just I was like. Did he just really say that? And and I said, help me understand what you, what what do you mean by the black neighborhood? And he said, well, you know. I said, I I I, I don't. I mean, I, I was I was like, I really don't. I, mean, I really need you to help me understand what you're saying because I really want to. Really, yeah, I'm kind of like rolling. Like I was, I really, I've got to suppress this a little bit because I'm getting a little upset about this, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking about Terry McIntyre, who my my buddy. You know, I'm like, hold on here. And so, he, and so he goes, you know, you know, the, the, the black people living in that neighborhood. I'm like, well, not all black people live in that neighborhood. And he goes, well, sure they do. I'm like, my office is in that neighborhood, oh, no. <laughs> right? I'm like, my office is in that neighborhood. So I'm not black. And and and, and guess what? The guy down the street, he's Hispanic. I said, so he, he's not black either. I said, so you can't, you can't say that. And he's like, well, I'm like, you can't say that because that's not true. You can speak truth, but that's not truth. I said, and you can't stereotype people in neighborhoods and, and, and people by, by, their, by their statuses. You, you, you can't do that. I said, and, and I'm, I'm not going to let you do that. So for me, what it's turned out to, it's, it's changed me, and it's made me want to fight for for, for the white right, fight for, for people and, and, for, and for equality and saying, hey, look, you know what? We, I love Jesus, and if I love Jesus, then there, there's no color. Then there's no, there's no um, social status. There's no financial status. It doesn't matter. What it is that we're all together, we have one reason, and our reason is to further the kingdom. And whatever that means, that's what we're going to do. And so that's what it actually, for, for, for me, it's, it, it's changed me to say, you know what? I want, I want to do whatever I can do to help people understand and, and to help people change. Understand that, that, this, that the racism and, and, and the names and the, the things that, that, that these guys have been speaking about, that, that yeah. we see what it does to people's hearts and, and how it impacts them and how it scars them. Why, why in the world would we ever want to do that? Yeah, and, and I think what you see you know, in Bo just talking about the place that he was raised in, where he wasn't just raised in um, uh, in a situation where there may be um, or an area of the country where there may be a little bit of of, of prejudice under uh, you know kind of under the radar, uh, but there was a, a, a blatant type of, of prejudice there in that area of that that, that black people are are inferior like that is not something that possibly could be true like that is true in that area, and to see what what God can do. In somebody's heart that grew up in that place that they could be so changed and so transformed that they could have a response like he's telling you he had last week that's that only happens because God got involved and Jesus and the kingdom of God got involved and 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 he was changed from the inside out and uh, and so I think that we see what you know what what God can do and um, uh, as we as we kind of wrap this up uh, miss Gloria I'm, I'm gonna come to you right now um, real quickly, um, I, I would like to know, one, do, do you experience today um, any systematic, do you see any legacy of the systematic ra racism that, that, that you grew up in? Do you see any of that today? 
And how have you, um, uh, how how have you managed throughout this journey of being coming through school in the fifties and all that you have experienced to today, living in complete forgiveness, totally surrendered to Jesus, and being the amazing person that you are. Do, do, what, first of all, do you see this systematic racism? And, and, Absolutely. And, and then how, how are you moving forward to be kingdom-minded? First of all, uh, two things. This is not my home. <laughs> this world is not my home. <laughs> this is a place Amen. where I work Amen. for the Lord. Amen. You know? Yeah. And, and second, I'm called to be a bridge builder. Come on. And, I'm, and, and so that's what I see myself as. When God saved me at age 14 and came into my heart, he gave me a love for people. And I love people in two ways. I, I, I love people because, and for two reasons, because of something they did in, that I know in their life. I know them and all of that. But I also love them because I know that Jesus Christ died for every one of them. So I am here to... Yeah. So my calling is to minimize the hurt and the other things that people suffer in this world. So that's what I feel I'm called to do, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm happy to do it, and I'm thankful that God called me in that area. Oh, oh, so good, so good. Uh, Roland, tell me this. Um, uh, what, have, what have you determined for you and your house that this is the Christian response to racism and prejudice? What have you determined for yourself? I try to uh, do our best to teach them that, you know, obviously the Bible is right in all things. You have to follow God. And by doing that, then, okay, and their hearts are so pure. You know, for seven- and six-year-old, like, it's pretty good kids. Uh, don't tell them that right now because they're going to want something. But <laughs> they, they are extremely pure and, and focused in their, their walk with Christ, which is, is, is amazing to me. Um, and we just try to give them experiences that, will allow them to see everyone in the world. So I talked about, we just went to uh, Brooklyn last week. Uh, there's a Brooklyn Children's Museum, which is similar to like uh, Cyport. And in the museum, there's a, a neighborhood. You know, so, you know, realize New York's a melting pot of everybody. Like my high school was 5,000 kids. My graduating class was like 1,400. And every race, creed, nationality you can think of was in there. And everybody got along, you know. Everybody was never any problems. You know, played football all four years. My, I played uh, defensive end. The right side defensive end was uh, his father was in the mob. I ate his house several times, and he really was in the mob. And, but we didn't think anything of it. You know, and, and I'd be like, Hey, uh, Mr. Gambino, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Rollin? You all right? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yes. You know, and and wow. this is in 1990 to 94. Wow. So, if we can embrace the fact that. Our differences make us stronger. Yes. So yes. going back to the Brooklyn Children's Museum, how they had, you know, there's a, an Asian food market. There's a Chinese library. There's an Italian pizza joint. There's a West Indian uh, travel agency. And then you go into the grocery market, and on the side it says, hey, uh, you know, Mr. Rakowitz and his family want to make a meal for your shivana. Okay, so you need to find gefilte fish, some matzah, and whatever. And so... There's all the ingredients, and they got to go through the store and pick it up. And so I'm forcing my kids to do this. And there's a Hasidic 
a Jewish man is walking in and he has on his yarmulke. And if you haven't seen this, they have like curly cues hanging down. So Gabe asked me, he's like, Daddy, why is his hair like that? Why does he do that? And I was like, well, why don't you go ask him, Gabe? Go ask him. I was like, well, that's a yarmulke and that's his way of offering homage to God. That's the way he prays. And he's Jewish, just like, you know, Moses freed the Jews, remember the pyramids? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I was like, go ask him about it. I'm sure he'll tell you all about it. And he said, I don't want to ask him now. I'm playing. <laughs> I said, okay, all right, we'll have this conversation later. But uh, I, I use that as a perfect example to, you know, raise your children in the sense that they're not afraid to ask those questions. Wow, so, so good. if I can use him as an avenue to say, hey, there's a police officer over there. I want you to go shake his hand and tell him thank you. And then ask the question that you want to ask. Hey, why is your hair different than mine? What does that mean? Wow. You know, the way children ask questions is so pure. And you will make a friend and you so will build a bridge to do that. And so uh, in their way, they're also learning that, hey, it's okay to embrace our differences. So, so good. So good. Uh, Clarissa, we'll finish with you tonight. Um, uh, how, how has Jesus changed uh, your view uh, on your identity and your response uh, to racism and prejudice. Okay, yeah. Um, when, when I came to Jesus, I was a single black woman. So I was a statistic, you know, a walking statistic. And I had all of these other issues already, you know, identity issues. Um, and so that was kind of the, one of the first things that God really dealt with me about. Um, and it really, it just was this epiphany that washed over me after being in the word of God, that I was a child of God. I was loved, adored, accepted, you know, all of those things um, beyond being black. So first, I'm a child of God. I'm not a black woman. I'm a child of God. That's how God rewired my mind, um, and it changed everything. And this is why my response is always, it's surprising to people when there's a racial issue, because I don't even see it like, that way anymore. I'm like, I'm a child of God. So I stand with Jesus. I stand with Jesus on everything, and that's how I see myself first, and that's what I've been able to help my children with also, you know, just understanding. And so now um, what God has really helped me to see is to see people's heart. You know, I worked in retail for a number of years, and I, could, I know when someone's racist immediately, and I have to help them, and I have to, you know, be kind to them and all of these things. And God gave me real insight into that, but he really dealt with me about seeing people's heart. I don't see their appearance. I see their heart. So I started praying that before I would go to work. God, help me to see their heart. Help me to see their heart. Working with managers who I knew, oh, I was black, so they had a you know, thing. I had to see through that into their heart, and they needed Jesus. And Jesus died for them, just like me. And so that's what changed me. It's really taking God's perspective on all of it. When I go to heaven, I'm not going to be a black woman. I'm going to be a child of God. Come on, so that's come on, how I'm come living. On. That's it. So good. Come on, did, did this help anybody tonight? Was this helpful? Come on, give them a great round of applause. Amen. You know, I, I, I tell you, like we, like we said, we just we remember our goals and what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to accomplish. We're not trying to uh, find uh, the, the end all, be all. We're trying to create a conversation that causes us to see things differently so we can think differently, so we can understand differently. Therefore, we can be uh, different. And, uh, and that's what we all should be striving for, to be more and more like Jesus. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were encouraged by the Word of God. If you'd like more information on North Point Community Church, you can find us online at www.northpoint.ccpeople.com.